you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to NFL Films Tales from the Vault. I'm your host, Andrea Kramer. When I started my career at NFL Films as a producer, the late Steve Sable was my boss and mentor. Every week on this podcast, we bring you the best of Steve, if you will, digging into the NFL Films Vault, where there are over 50,000 cans of film and over 200 interviews between Steve and some of the greatest figures in NFL history. What's really cool to me, these are raw, unedited conversations, none of which have ever been heard before in their entirety. So we get to capture the essence of Steve Sable as a master interviewer. Today, we feature an interview from 2010 with then head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Hall of Famer, Mike Singletary. Mike Singletary is best known for his Hall of Fame career as the middle linebacker on what many believe is the greatest defense of all time, the 1985 Chicago Bears. When I think of Singletary, I conjure up those classic shots of him in the NFL Films library, his eyes bulging at the line of scrimmage, ready to attack his prey. But in my years covering and working with Singletary, what always stood out for me was that he was very deliberate and thoughtful when he spoke. Literally, every word that came out of his mouth seemed to do so with intent and meaning. But Mike also had this intensity when he played, and he brought that intensity to his coaching. He spent 24 years in the NFL, 12 as a player and 12 as a coach. The interview you're about to hear took place at Mike's house during the summer of 2010, a year and a half after he took over as head coach in San Francisco. Now look, We're all products of our life experiences. And as you'll hear in this interview, Mike Singletary had many influences. The coaches he played for and coached with helped shape his performance as a player and his philosophy as a head coach. And for someone who epitomizes what you think of as the quintessential tough football player, for Singletary, perhaps the two most influential people in his life were strong, tough women. His late mother, Rudell, and his wife, Kim. So let's go to the vault for Steve Sable and Mike Singletary. All right, you all set? Well, you good? Yes, sir. All right, all right. All right. Mike, I have a theory about players in the National Football League and why they play. I think there's usually four reasons. One is that your, your father or your brother played. Two, 
you've dreamt about playing in the National Football League your whole life. The third reason might be money. And the fourth reason is you just like physical contact. For you, which of those four was it? Or was it something else or a combination of those? It may, may be a combination of, of all of those things. Um, certainly, I didn't have a father or a brother play. Uh, it was against our religion growing up. Uh, my father was a Pentecostal pastor. So um, that wasn't happening. Um, by me being the last of 10 kids, I was the only one that had a chance to play. Um, the other thing was uh, when my mom and dad got a divorce uh, when I was 12, I, I, I really... I was playing football. I loved the game, and um, it was a it was a way for me to identify myself uh, in terms of um, this is who I am. This is who I I, I want to be, and um, uh, and at the same time as as a teenager, um, you know, when you're going through adolescence and some of those other things, it, it gives you a chance to work out maybe some of the. Um, the ignorance uh, of youth that you have at that time. Um, you know, you're kind of upset, uh, angry at the world and things like that because you, you're trying to figure things out. Why, why, why? You know, why is my dad not here? Why does mom have to work so hard? All of those things. And, and then at the, probably the last one is just really um, looking at football as, as uh, something uh, a way to to help my my family, to help my mother, um, sisters and brothers, um, to go to the next level on my own family. You said your mother gave you the greatest pep talk that you've ever had in your life. What, what was that? Well, at uh, 12 years old, she just said, um, "Son, I need you to I need you to grow up. I need you to be the man of the house. Um, there is greatness in you." And it's just a matter of you finding it. Uh, it takes time, it takes work, um, but it's there. And if you're willing to find it, um, you know, that's the challenge for you. And, um, you know, life is hard for everybody, son, but um, you gotta keep fighting, you gotta keep swinging, and, and um, that's the way you're gonna get there. Did that sink in at the time, or did that? Uh, oh, it hit home. It, it did? It definitely did. Um, you know, the series of questions at that time, you know, uh, she and my, my father had just divorced. My brother Grady was killed in an automobile accident about six months later. And, uh, you know, you felt like nothing was going right. You felt like uh, this is re ridiculous. How could this be happening? Um, so there, there was just that feeling of uh, how do I get out of this? And uh, that day when she sat me down and talked to me and asked me to become the man of the house, it, it gave me an opportunity to focus on something bigger than me um, and focus on her and, and uh, focus on uh, the home at that time and, and my future. Why was your father against you playing football? What, what uh, my father was a uh, Pentecostal pastor. And in the Pentecostal um, religion, um, anything that anywhere near any, any type of violence, uh, hitting each other, anything that could take your focus off um, love and, and um, uh, God uh, was not something that was good. Is there, is there a vestige of that still in you from, from what your father's saying? I, I think uh, the thing that my father came to realize many years later was that um, 
You know, there, there are certain gifts that each of us are given. And when one has the opportunity to, um, to take those gifts and, and do the best that we can with those gifts, um, and for me, it, it was all about going out and expressing my thanks for the gift that, that God had given me. One was football. And, um, you know, every time I had the opportunity to go out and play, it was an opportunity for me to say, thank you, Lord, for, for the gift that you gave me. So you, you wrote down goals when you were young, right? I mean, the, do you actually have a, do you still have that piece of paper that no. you didn't? But do you remember what, what some of the things were that, that you, wow. and, you, and you actually took a piece of paper and a pencil and you wrote these goals? One by one, yes, I did. Um, it was the same day that my mom talked to me. It was uh, after that conversation that I went to my room. Now, granted, I, I had these thoughts in my mind all the time. I was always uh, sitting around, looking at the clouds, looking in the sky, praying and asking the Lord, what is my purpose? What, what, what am I to do with my life? Or why am I here? And um, so I had some ideas, but I never had the courage to write them down. And after that conversation that, that my mom uh, had with me, um, about being a man of the house, then uh, that, that pushed me over the edge um, to, it, it was a call to action. And so at that time, that's when I went in the room, I knew what they were, and I just began to write out, um, get a scholarship to college, that was number one. Uh, become an All-American in college, that was two. And then, of course, get my degree, uh, get drafted and go to the NFL, um, buy my mom a house, uh, become an All-Pro, uh, go to the Super Bowl and own my own business. A coach was not on your list. No, no, it was not. Of course, long before he went into coaching, Singletary was the captain of the Bears defense. Remember he dubbed himself Samurai Mike in the famous Super Bowl shuffle? You know, some of those lyrics, I can sort of still hear them. I stopped them cold. I'm set in the style. Nobody messes in my neighborhood. Believe me, Singletary... Singletary sang that a lot better than I just tried to recite it. But look, you have to understand the dynamic that Singletary was dealing with at that time. Defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan and head coach Mike Ditka famously did not get along. It was Ditka's team, but Buddy's defense. In fact, when the Bears won the Super Bowl, it was the first time a defensive coordinator, along with the head coach, was carried off the field on the shoulders of his players. So Singletary's loyalties were to the team, but also to Buddy Ryan. In fact, following the firing of Bears coach Neil Armstrong, which led to Ditka's hiring, the entire defense, including Singletary, wrote a letter to ownership petitioning to keep Ryan as defensive coordinator. Singletary successfully straddled the line between Ditka and Ryan, all the while inching closer to becoming a coach himself. When you were with the Bears, you were your last couple of years, you were sort of a player coach at that point. Could you call yourself a player coach? Um, you can call it that, but I... You I were would, a liaison between the team and coach? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, I would say that. I, I, was, um, I would be the guy that if something was wrong, uh, you'd want to come to me and say, what's wrong? Or how do we get it straight? Um, so that, that's something that... that Did I, you go to Mike or to Buddy? I would go to whoever I needed to go to. If it was a, a defensive uh, deal, I would go to Buddy. If it was uh, um, more of an offensive or a, a bigger thing, team, whatever, I would go to Coach Ditka. You know, when you, you talk about football teams and there's such a talk now of 
chemistry and camaraderie. And, but, and you look at that Bears team, and sometimes to an outsider, I mean, it looks like chaos. I mean, the two coaches didn't seem to get along, and yet that team to this day is still considered by many the greatest team ever. And yet when you talk about, you know, teamwork and everybody pulling together, to people on the outside, it doesn't seem that way. Well, uh, I, I think we're, we're both right. <laughs> uh, the people on the inside and people on the outside. I think uh, the greatest thing that I learned about that experience and that team is that when you want to win a championship, you can put a group of guys together and they can win a championship. When you want to form a dynasty, uh, you have to have chemistry. That's the difference. So you didn't think you had the chemistry because that you never had the dynasty. Right. So you're saying that you didn't have the chemistry, but you had the talent? We had the talent. We had the talent for one year. Um, but uh, after that, we did not have the maturity or the wisdom um, to pull it back together and say, hey, look, it's about the team. Let, let's stay together. Let's stay focused. We didn't have the maturity. That must have been frustrating for you. Oh, it was very frustrating. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Frustrating, but to me, also fascinating. The idea that one of the greatest players on one of the greatest defenses of all time is able to articulate why the Bears of the 80s never became a dynasty. And believe me, you heard this all the time. How could that Bears team with that defense only win one Super Bowl? But remember, Buddy Ryan was off to Philadelphia the following season. Just one factor why the team was never the same. When we come back, Steve digs into Singletary's coaching career with the 49ers, including one of the most memorable press conferences in NFL history. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful, providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in, to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. When Mike Singletary became the 49ers head coach in 2008, he made an immediate splash. This was a Hall of Fame player joining a team that was an arch rival in his playing days. In his very first game as head coach, he made national news. Not only did he just bench star tight end Vernon Davis, 
He sent him to the locker room after committing a personal foul penalty that Singletary deemed to be selfish. This is how I believe, okay? I'm from the old school. I believe this. I would rather play with 10 people and just get penalized all the way until we got to do something else rather than play with 11 when I know that right now that person is not sold out to be a part of this team. It is more about them than it is about the team. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. I want winners. I want people that want to win. This press conference may have unwittingly defined Singletary's head coaching career. But look, he was all about tough love, something he learned from Buddy Ryan in his very first game as a Bear in 1981. And as Steve is about to explore, this experience in Singletary's first game as a player may have set the stage for how he handled his first game as a head coach. I'm going to make a a big jump now. You're with the Bears. Your first play, you're in with, I think you're playing the Chargers. And you're smiling, so you must remember. Tell me what happened on that play. It was my first start. Uh, Buddy Ryan, uh, uh, he he didn't like rookies, and he certainly didn't like me. And uh, it was a long year, a long training camp, and... And uh, he was letting me play, but, but finally I was going to get a chance to start. So uh, he said, uh, look, I'm going I'm to let you start this week, but let me tell you something. Uh, when you go in that game, you do exactly, I mean exactly what I say. And anything different than that, you're going to be back over there with me. I said, yes, sir. So we go out and we're playing the, uh, the high-flying uh, San Diego Chargers at that time, number one offense in the league. And um, Buddy called the first defense, um, 2Z, you know, 4-3, uh, 2Z. Okay, fine. We, we make the play. I, I make the play, and, and um, we get back in the huddle, and I'm, I'm calling. Buddy uh, signaled in. The call is 3Z. Gary Fensick thinks that is 2Z again. And I said, no, it is not 2Z. It's 3Z. And so uh, Gary was arguing with me in the huddle, and I'm from the school that the middle linebacker makes the call, and that's what it is. Um, so I call timeout because I'm not going to do anything different than what Buddy says. I'm very literal. So I call timeout, and, of course, uh, Buddy's swearing at me the whole way. I'm on my way to the sideline, and I'm not sure if I want to go now. But uh, when I get over there, I'm trying to explain to him, buddy, I'm doing exactly what you said. Get over there and sit down. Not quite that way, but get over there and sit down. And uh, he, he uh, went with a totally different defense, the 46, uh, which was a bunch of DBs. Um, and uh, I didn't play another play in the game. Is there any way you can relate that to what you did to Vernon Davis, you know, in, in your first year when you coached him and you and you took him out of the game, is there any corollary there? Or, or are you thinking, this was done to me once, and to straighten this kid out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit him down? Or is, or is there no correlation at all? You know, with, with the way the mind works, uh, I really don't know. I don't think so. I think what, what happened between Vernon Davis and uh, myself was, um, um, was just something that I would do to my son. You know, every time I talk to our players, I have them understand, I'm going to love you like I love my son. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, But if there's ever a time when you overstep your boundaries, you you hit that line, 
I'm going to deal with it um, in, in a very stern way because I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I, I do mean what I say. Um, so that was, you know, Vernon just overstepped his boundaries and, um, you know, I just, I just made a call. Mm-hmm. When you say he overstepped his boundaries, was he challenging your authority or what was the reason that... that, that really, that- it came down to not thinking about the team. No, the team is the most important thing at all times. And uh, he had just made um, uh, a decision on the field that was not a team decision. It was about him. And uh, he exploded, couldn't control his emotions, and um, really put us in a bad situation. So he comes to the sideline, and I'm asking him what happened. And, um, you know, he's talking about uh, himself, you know, why is this? Well, you know, why is this guy talking to me like this? Why is he? Wait, wait, wait! This is not about you. This is about our team. You just cost us on the field. Well, coach, wait a minute. You don't understand what? So I said, okay, you're done. You're done. And uh, that was going to be the extent of it. Just go over there and sit down. Well, he goes on the bench and he he continues to talk and another teammate. So now he's distracting the team. So uh, I went over and I asked our equipment guy. I said, is there any rule whatsoever? that would inhibit him from going into the shower because we don't need him out here. He's done. And um, our equipment guy said, no. I said, okay, fine. Vernon, go in. You're done. And, um, and I, you know, I really wasn't thinking about uh, whatever became of it. Everybody's, oh, he can't do that. Why would he do that? Why would he embarrass? Why? And you know what? Um, I just believe that... Um, when you're on a team, you have to think about the team. I don't care who you are. Um, just like a family. When you're in a family, the family is not about individual. It's not about you. It's about the family. And so um, that's the only thing that that was about. But you, you talked to Vernon now, and this was a huge thing in his career now. I mean, that, that incident changed his career around to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, I look at that... And really, he's the captain. Yes, yes. But but I look at that, and there are a lot of things that go into that. First of all, Vernon, I, I've told people this. I told people before that incident and after that incident, Vernon is one of the nicest individuals you want to be around. Um, but I, I just think he had a tough time finding the boundaries. And I think um, you know as. As uh, the head coach, uh, one of the most important things for me to do was establish the boundaries and then keep them consi- consistent for everyone. And um, so I, I think that's what he had to understand. And I think that's what all the players need to know is where are the boundaries. And um, once they know where the boundaries are, then then they can act accordingly. Okay, so jumping in here with a little pop quiz. What fun fact did we tell you about Steve Sable in last week's podcast? If you don't remember, you need to go back and listen. But but in all sincerity, Steve was a movie aficionado dating back to his childhood. And as an adult, he tried to see movies weekly. So in classic Steve fashion, he uses a current movie to frame a coaching question to Singletary. I love how he incorporates the premise of this movie and gets Singletary really thinking. There's a movie out that just came out called Inception. Have you heard about it? Or I have. Where they, you, they can put a thought into your mind. You go to sleep and you're a dreamer and there's a, uh, they can put something into your mind that make, could change your personality. If, if you had that power 
as a coach for your whole team, what one thought would you want to implant, put that inception in every one of your players if, if you had that power? If, if I had that power, I think um, the thought that I would want to put into um, you know, each player's mind would be uh, the ability to trust one another. Um, if, if I can trust you, that would uh, save me so much time and energy where I don't have to think about, are you going to do your job? Can I depend on you? Uh, I know what your job is. I, we've gone through the playbook, but are you really going to do that? Because if I'm your teammate, and I've been in this situation once before where I was on a team where everybody could trust the other guy, and when you can trust that guy next to you to do his job, that makes your job, you can play that much faster. And you can think about what you're doing and, and your job without having to think about, is he going to be there? So that, that is probably, in a team sport, that is uh, probably the number one thing is the trust factor that I have for everybody around me, that they can trust me to do my job. Um, when you decided you wanted to become a coach, knowing you the way I do, you must have really researched that out. You must have made some phone calls. You must have talked to other coaches. What, for instance, did you call like a Bill Walsh or did you talk to a Joe Gibbs and, and ask them about what, what is this going to do to my life? And what did they say? Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, the whole coaching thing came about when my wife and I were praying about it. <clears throat> And I came home one day from uh, work and my wife looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Mike, it's time to get out of the house, huh? <laughs> it, it's time to coach. It's time to coach. So um, I didn't really do any research. Uh, I had done my research prior to retiring. And it was at that time that I decided not to coach uh, simply because I wanted to be a father and I wanted to be a husband uh, and I wanted my kids to know who I was. Um, and so I decided not to coach at that time. But then after um, uh, several years, um, my wife and I began to, to think about it and begin to pray about it. And, and uh, when I came home that day, she said, Mike, okay, it, it's time. It's time. So we put our house on, up for sale four days later. But you didn't know where you were going to coach. I didn't know I was going to coach. Well, that's a pretty risky decision, right? I mean, just put your head, you didn't know what you had no, you didn't know where you were going to coach. You didn't know what city you were going to coach. You didn't even know whether you'd get a job, right? And you just put I your house no up idea. for sale. But you know what? What did I, Kim say about that? <laughs> I did know this. I did know this. If God called us to coaching, he was going to work it out. And that, that's all I knew at that time. And that's all I needed to know. And um, so I talked about trust a little while ago. I know that I can trust him. So um, I had no um, it, it was a sense of relief to know that, I, that we had been called to uh, such a great um, opportunity. Um, but it, it was, uh, we knew that, that he was going to be faithful to lead us where we needed to go. So Mike Singletary began his coaching path, starting in Baltimore, where he was hired in 2003 to be Brian Billick's linebackers coach. Mike Nolan was the Ravens defensive coordinator at the time. And after just two seasons, Nolan was hired by the 49ers as head coach and took Singletary with him to be his assistant head coach and linebackers coach. When Nolan was fired midway through the 2008 season, 
Singletary was named interim coach. But that Vernon Davis incident wasn't the only thing that happened in his first game. There was another memorable moment that I'm sure Singletary wants to forget. And truthfully, thank goodness this was 2008, predating the ubiquity of cell phones, because can you imagine how this video would have gone viral? At halftime in that same game, in which the Niners were down 20-3, to Singletary, in a show of disgust, dropped his pants in the locker room. Now look, he was wearing boxers, but it got the attention of the team, the media, and for our purposes, Steve Sable. Mike, when you took over the team, what was your first assessment? I mean, you had that, that great press conference. I know that there's a fire that burns in my heart for this team to be successful. And that fire is unconquerable, and it will not die. That seemed so spontaneous and so sincere at the time. I mean, what did, what did you see when you first took over the team that, that, uh, that affected you that way? I think after uh, Mike Nolan and I talked, um, you know, Mike had a frustration with, um, you know, a number of things really trying to have the guys understand um, that this is the NFL. And, and guys, we, we got to go to the next level. And it's not about you, it's about the team. And uh, Mike really uh, stressed that point. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to become the head coach, one of the things that, that he and I talked about was, you know, just, just be yourself, just be who you are and uh, trust your instincts. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be me. And after that game, and uh, I, I realized that um, we are not doing the things that it takes to be a great team. We're, we're not on the right track. We're going in the wrong direction. Um, I don't know where it, it uh, uh, you know, where we got to start, but uh, for me, it's going to start today, and it's going to start now. And I really want, uh, I'm, I'm big on communicating and making sure that if I'm talking to someone, you understand exactly what I'm saying. There is no misunderstanding about what we have to do and what we're going to do in time. But, um, you know, I don't want to hear a whole lot of excuses and I don't want to hear a whole lot of songs. And I, I just want you to get out there and let's do it. Now, when you dropped your pants in the locker room, now, it was funny because I had a college coach that did the same thing and got everybody's attention in a way that was funny but we really knew, we really got the point, and then we went on and won our next three games after that. When you make a decision like that, do you realize the humor in it, or is, is it something that, that's just totally spontaneous, and then after you did it, you realize, oh my God, why, I, I shouldn't have done that? Well, uh, the thing that I learned that day, very valuable lesson, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, <laughs> um, is that uh, the media has grown so big um, you know, there were things that Coach Ditka did that I will not talk about, but it was uh, <laughs> one of those things uh, they didn't mention that I had on underwear uh, uh, afterwards. And so that's the first call I get was from my wife. What are you doing? Sweetheart, come on now. But uh, so I said, okay, I won't do that again. But uh, it, it was a great learning experience that day. And, and uh, of course, for me, you only have a couple of minutes at, at halftime to say what you need to say. So, it's, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> Here, here's what it looks like. Here's what we're doing out there. 
So, uh, but it was good. I found other ways of communicating after that. I was in a locker room once where uh, Lou Saban, when he was at the Broncos, so upset he just tore his shirt off. And he said, I'm 55 years old. I'll take on anybody in the locker room right now. Come on up here. All you guys are chicken shit. I'll fight you one at a time. And I, I mean, football's a game of grand passions and bold gestures. I bet if we had 10 other players here, every guy would have a story of a coach that did something yes. like that to get their yes. attention. Singletary definitely got his players' attention when he first got the job in San Francisco. At the team's practice facility, he had 2,500 tons of dirt trucked in and built a hill for the players, who nicknamed it the pain. That hill, that, that's sort of a statement in a way. Do you, do you look at that as, I mean, when, if you're trying to bring in free agents and stuff and rookies, and I mean, and they see that, uh, that, that to me, if I was a young player, that, that's, that's, that's a statement about the, the work ethic that's going to have to take place in this, in this camp. Do you see it that way? Is it, is it a statement or, or maybe is, am I reading a little too much in, into it? Um, it, maybe you could say it's a statement. I, I, think, uh, I think our players know and they understand and they fully expect that we're going to outwork our opponent. We're going to do that. I mean, that, that's square one. Before we do anything else, uh, we may not be as smart, we may not be as talented, but I tell you what, we're going to outwork you. Does that mean the head coach has to sleep on the couch at night? And, uh... No, I'm, I'm going to sleep at home. Uh, I'm going to sleep in my bed with my wife, uh, with my kids at home. Um, I believe there's only so many hours in a day. And uh, every coach has their own philosophy, and I have mine. Um, I don't believe that uh, to be a coach, that if I'm going to be a great coach, it has to be at the expense of my family. I don't think so. You may have noticed that throughout this interview, Singletary consistently referred to his wife, Kim. You know that saying, behind every great man is a great woman? Well, for Kim and Mike, it's more like, beside every great man is this great woman. When Singletary was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1998, Kim became the first wife to ever introduce her husband into the hall. It's a true partnership between Mike and Kim, who he refers to as his accountability partner. To this day, 37 years and still going strong. When we come back, Steve and Mike talk about the biggest influences that shape Singletary as a head coach. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. 
providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Mike Singletary, at his core, is a student of football. And as the case with most great students, he had a lot of impactful teachers. Buddy Ryan, his defensive coordinator in Chicago. Brian Billick, who was the head coach in Baltimore when Singletary got his first assistant coaching job. Dave McGinnis, who was the Bears linebackers coach for the last seven years of Singletary's career. And of course, Mike Ditka, the Bears head coach for 11 of Singletary's 12 seasons. I think all head coaches are sort of a mixture of all the people that they played for. And, and I just wanted to go through a couple that who you've learned from. And I wanted to start with Buddy Ryan. Buddy uh, taught me uh, discipline. Uh, that was the number one thing. Um, you have to be disciplined to play on that defense, uh, particularly running the 46, because everybody had their job and we had to execute. And if one person messed up, then the 46 defense not only looked like chaos, uh, it was chaos. So um, we really, really had to do that. That was the number one thing, discipline. The other side of that was um, ownership. Uh, I learned the value of ownership. Uh, Buddy trusted me uh, as I earned the right uh, to have that trust in in being able to make certain adjustments on the field. And um, when you give a player ownership, you're telling him that I trust you. I'm putting my career in your hands. You go out there and you make these adjustments Make sure you know what the heck you're doing because I'm standing over here and I'm, I'm, I'm saying you make the call. So um, that went a long way for uh, it said to me that I needed to do all that I could do to make sure that I prepared and uh, make darn sure that when I call something, I knew why I was calling it. And that was extremely important for me. Now, how about Brian Billick? Brian Billick, organization. Organization uh, was key for Brian Billick. I thought Brian was uh, tremendous uh, as an organizer. Um, he knew what everybody was supposed to be doing. He knew the description of their jobs. He knew the time in which they were supposed to be doing it. And he, he cut out all of the dead time and made sure that if you said, if you're saying that you're supposed to do this by then, here's the deadline. I don't want to hear anything else. That's what you have. Uh, now, when you finish, you do what you have to do, but make sure that that job is done. That accountability and organization, to me, um, spoke volumes to me. Uh, Dave McGinnis. Dave McGinnis, um, friendship, loyalty. Uh, Dave McGinnis, uh, when he came to uh, the Bears, um, he and uh, Coach Tobin, it, it, was, uh, it was great. I mean, he was a, a guy that... Um, you know, trying to to get it all all down, and he he um, he has this this linebacker that um, has, has been all pro and um, MVP, and 
And, um, you know, Dave comes in and says, hey, this is the way we're going to do it. And uh, we're going to work this way. And any questions, any... But he always, he always sat me down and he was always straight to me. He said, Mike, I, I, you know, I know you're all pro and I know this, but you got to get this done. That this isn't happening like you want it. And he always kept me uh, abreast of where I was and never let me get into the... The, uh, the, the public, all of the stuff that was happening, he always kept it real, said, this is where you are. I don't care what they say. This is where I see you. Now, are you going to work to get to this next level? Are you going to earn what, what they're saying, that you're a great player? Are you going to earn that? So, um, What part of your career was that? What? That was, um, well, he was there the rest of my career after Buddy left in uh, 86, and I retired in 92. So, so um, you were still at the top of your game. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah, so when, when I, but Coach McGinnis really challenged me all the time. Um, you know, one of the questions that he would ask um, is, do you want to know the truth? Yes, I want to know the truth. Well, it's not what you think it is, but here it is. Um, and I really, really appreciated that. I needed that. And he, he could have been the guy that said, hey, Mike, you're the greatest. Just go out there and do your job. You, you, you're the best. But he didn't do that. And uh, I, I will always value uh, that relationship and that friendship and that honesty that he had with me. Coach Ditka, what, what did you take away from him? Is, is there a part of Do Coach Ditka that takes the field with you on Sundays? Um, when I, uh, I'm trying to, to cut it down <laughs> more and more. Um, but uh, the thing about uh, Coach Ditka to me is uh, he was a true visionary. He knew what it was supposed to look like. You couldn't con him uh, as a team um, to make him think that you were working hard. Um, he knew when we got in a good day, and he knew when we did not. Uh, he was always honest with us, uh, very straightforward, uh, did not take any excuses. Um, I thought when uh, his first three years with the Bears, I thought that he was on his way to being the, the greatest coach ever. Um, and um, uh, unfortunately, the other thing that I learned from Coach Ditka, and I, I talked to uh, him about this as well, was, was how distractions can take you away from uh, the very thing that you love. Um, you know, this, the city of Chicago was so great. And uh, we won, and, and yes, we had the characters and everything else, but um, none of us had the wisdom to, uh, to realize how difficult it was going to be to, to bring all of these egos and all of this pride back underneath this umbrella and say, let's do it again. Uh, it got so far out there that it was just uh, next to impossible to bring it back in. Um, and um, so Coach and I have talked about it many times, and there are a number of things that he would do differently. But I, I think that uh, the thing that he taught me the most was um, be passionate about what you're doing and have a vision for what it is that you're trying to do and be focused on it. Um, that's him. Now, here's a, a question that it comes up a lot is that it seems when you look at the history of the game, it's so difficult for great players to be great coaches. And I mean, you can go through a litany starting with Bob Waterfield, Norm Van Brocklin, Otto Graham, Bart Starr, Joe Schmidt, I'm sure you've heard it. There's a, maybe three that I could think of. Well, of course, Coach Ditka. Ray Berry took a team to the Super Bowl. 
and Forrest Gregg. Why do you think, Mike, it's so hard for a great player to become a great coach? Is it the great player does things so instinctively that it's hard for him to teach? Or or, or their or standards so high that uh, everybody's so uncomfortable that they can't perform? I, I think I was very fortunate uh, to be a guy that that really had ability, not great ability, uh, but had just enough ability that if he were to work his tail off, he could be become an elite player. If he was to to outwork and and outthink, outsmart, all, all those other things, the the added uh, things that uh, would make a great player, um, I was willing to do that, and that was the question that I had for all of my coaches. And they all realized, I mean, I didn't have great talent, but my question was, how do I become the best? And so they would give me, I said, don't think about me, don't think about my ability, just tell me, how do I become the best? Okay, well, Mike, there's a lot of stuff. How do I become? So they would answer that and just list it out. And so the challenge was on me to uh, answer the question as to whether I was going to do it or not. Was I going to pay lip service to it or was I going to actually do it? And so I think for me, when I talk to our players, the thing that I want them to understand is don't sit down and tell me what you can't do. But really, really be honest with me and tell me what you don't want to do. That's a big difference. So I had to work to get it. I had to work to earn it. And I know it can be done. Um, so it's just a matter of a guy being willing to work. So I, I'm not asking a guy to be magic. I'm not asking him to uh, you know, jump uh, uh, steel buildings or anything like that. I'm just asking him to become the best that he can be. I did an interview with Lombardi once, and he said that a great coach has to be one half teacher and one half son of a bitch. Well, um, I know that I'm one half teacher. Uh, the other part I, I would say is um, I, I would I would just say that I'm I'm one half uh, teacher and, and maybe one half dad. That would be it. So you 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 what you're doing is you recognize there has to be a, a maybe a tough side and a, and a demanding side get, that goes along with a teacher. Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's the combination of love and, and discipline. I think if you have too much love, uh, then you're going to have problems. Uh, if you have too much discipline, you're going to have problems. And I think uh, every coach has to look at his team and look at the balance of what he has. Uh, does he have a lot of uh, guys that, uh, you know, you have to bring about discipline? Or do you have a, a lot of guys where you have to bring about the other side of it? But when you find that balance because you know your team, um, then there's a, a good chance you can get it right. You, you seem to me a coach in a, in, a, in a throwback way about motivation. And that's sort of an interesting subject because Chuck Knoll would say that uh, I don't have these men are professionals. If they can't motivate themselves, then they don't, be, they don't, they don't belong here. And that the, the, there are other coaches, like Lombardi was certainly one, that, that motivated every day. Now, where do you put yourself in, as far as motivation? Well, I, I look at it this way. I, I think um, the better the player, the less you have to motivate. 
And when I look at Chuck Noel, I agree 150% with what he had to say. Why in the heck is he motivated? You got Joe Green, you got Lambert, you got, I mean, everybody out there is the Hall of Fame. Well, no, I don't have to motivate. So they motivated themselves. Bingo, bingo. Um, you, but, were, you were a self-motivator, right? Yes, yes. Um, but I, I think uh, you look at Bill Belichick. You know, they're, now there's they're a different deal. Uh, now you have a team. You have chemistry. You have those things when he was winning those championships. Um, so I, I think it's, it's up to the coach that uh, you have to look at what you have. What do I have to do more of? Do I have to motivate these guys? Um, or do I have to um, really manage the situation and make sure that they don't kill each other? To me, uh, the, the best thing that I can have to happen um, to the players that I coach is when they're done and when they moved on, that they're successful fathers, uh, they're successful husbands, and they're men of integrity. Um, they work hard. So th those are the things that uh, any player that comes through the 49er organization um, a few years down the road, I, I would hope that that's a trait that they would have um, because that, to me, is, is where the rubber meets the road. That's the ending right there. This interview was conducted in August of 2010. Unfortunately, Mike Singletary would be fired just a few months later, prior to the last game of the season. He's since been an assistant coach in the NFL and even was a high school head coach but hasn't returned to the sidelines of an NFL team as a head coach. Look, Singletary's passion and intensity were very much on display in this interview. But for me, the question that I just found most fascinating was Steve asking why great players aren't successful as head coaches. Keep in mind that since 2010, the only former NFL players to win the Super Bowl as head coaches have been backup quarterbacks, and there's only two of them. Gary Kubiak of the Broncos, and Doug Peterson with the Eagles. Singletary's knowledge of the game as a player was never in question, but he never seemed to have the ability to translate that knowledge to being a successful head coach. Next week, we've got a real special one for you. I dug deep into the vault. I went to the top shelf, in fact. Yeah, I need a ladder for that but I found another defensive Hall of Famer gem. Steve's 1984 interview with Deacon Jones is a classic you won't want to miss. I sure hope you'll join me. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrea Kramer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? 
A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.